So that's from our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, if you're not able to make that or haven't been able to, I hope you'll join us. For those of us that are going through that, we're halfway through now. Uh, we finished four weeks. We've got four more to go. That's the preview of session five. And as I've said on many other occasions, we're only limited. You're, you're only limited by your willingness to go and serve God in the way that he calls you with the talents that he's given you. So I'm enjoying the study. I hope you are too. I want to invite you to go ahead and jump in and join us. Even if you haven't been there, if you can, come on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock and join us for that. Um, go ahead and take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Last week we were in Acts chapter 4. And I mentioned that um, we were going to talk about prayer. We talked, introduced it last week. We're going to talk about it this week. And then I'm going to talk about the 40-day prayer guide that we have for you. Uh, that's, uh, those are out there on the table. You'll be able to pick those up at the information kiosk after the message this morning. And we've got more that are downstairs that we're working on printing out. So if we run out, we've got more and we can always print more. Uh, and we can get those this afternoon too. Uh, as you, if you uh, don't get one, we'll get it to you when you come for the session this afternoon. So we're going to spend, we're, we're at the crucial point now, sessions three, four, and five, you, this transitional process. And, and prayer has always been vital, but we're, we're going to spend the next three months uh, plus in, in prayer. And, and it's going to be an emphasis that's going to remain out there. It's always challenging for me because I, I, I'm just always honest about this. As a pastor, I always feel like it's the one thing I need to do the most, and it's still the one thing I feel like I do the least, that I'm not the best at. And I think that's most people. Most of us, we're honest about our prayer life. When I read the statistics about how often people pray and how much time they spend a day in prayer, the, 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 the minutes that they spend in prayer, and, and, and I'm asking myself, are we, are we just being too humble? Are we just being too critical of ourselves? Are we exaggerating? You know, when you hear that a pastor, the average pastor spends less than five minutes a day in prayer, you know, where, where do we get these numbers from? And then I look at my life and I think about the days when I go the whole day and I realize, I didn't, I'm not sure I even pray. And what is prayer? And, and yet it's the one thing that we need to do the most. It's our lifeline to God. Amen? It's how we communicate with Him. And so we're going to buckle down. And it's one of the reasons I love being a transitional pastor. Because as I lead you through this, it forces me to keep my prayer life moving forward. As I challenge you to move forward. Because I'm just one of those guys. I don't believe you ever ask, I'd ask anybody to do anything you're not willing to do yourself. Amen? Or unless you're just not able to do it. Amen? But uh, I'm able to do this, and so are you, so we ought to do it together. Amen. So with that in mind, I, I, want, us to, I want us to think about prayer. Now, last week we talked about the last two points, if you remember, uh, that we talked about their commitment, and their commitment was to prayer, to the sovereignty of God, trusting God. And then we looked at the, uh, we looked at the answer. We looked at the, uh, the conclusion of the matter was that God answers prayer. So I want to go to a familiar passage, Luke chapter 11. You, you know this, and I want to look at it maybe this morning in a different way than we've, than we've looked at it before. Um, and I want us to think about prayer and, and, and what it means to be a, a people of prayer. And, 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 I, and, and I think, I'll say that for the end, maybe, we'll see. Um, but Luke chapter 11, I want to go ahead and read verse 1 all the way down to verse 13, but we're really only going to focus on the first four verses this morning. And maybe in a couple of weeks we'll come back and we'll visit the second half of this. But in Luke chapter 11 verses, and let me go ahead and break it down for you. In, in chapter 11 verses 1 through 4, we have the model prayer. And then in Luke chapter 11 verses 5 through 13, you have the motivation for prayer. And the model prayer 
lays the foundation for the motivation. It's also the motivation for prayer, but it leads into the results or that second half of that. So we're going to look at the model prayer. and the, That's what we're going to focus on, the first four verses. But I want to read all 13. Luke 11, verse 1. You there? Amen? It says, It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, and by the way, if you know this is finished in Matthew, you get the rest of that, for uh, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. But here Luke just moves into the parable part. In verse 5, he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity or his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? Shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I have a couple of quotes here from some, and I'm not sure where these came from, but a number of prayer books in my library, and I jot these down from time to time. It says, the secret to the spiritual life of a church is to take authority through prayer so that Satan has to give ground. To be able to, to understand that, that we, are the, we are on the offense with God. That, we, that, that when Jesus said that, uh, that upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's not a defensive statement. He says that, that as you move forward the gates of hell will fall down as the church advances. And then another quote, the highest task to which human energy can be put is the task of worshipful prayer. So the devil opposes it every breath of the way. That is why, for some of us, it's almost impossibly hard to do. If you're like me, you know, you, sometimes you get really excited. I'm going to pray. This, I just I feel the spell. I'm going to pray. We, we start praying. You get on your knees. You open your Bible. Wherever you are, you start praying. And as soon as you start praying, a thousand other thoughts start going through your mind. Or, or sometimes, you know, if it's late at night, oh, I'm, I'm awake. I'm, 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 I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Normally I'm tired. I go straight. I'm gonna, you, lay, you, you kneel down beside your bed, wherever you, you start praying, and all of a sudden the devil starts singing you lullabies. Amen? And, 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 and it's hard. It's difficult. But it's the one thing that we have to do more of. And we have to be aware of it. And here's what I think. Here's what I think. I think there's so much power in prayer that even one minute a day is better than no minutes. Amen? I mean, if you can just find time to squeeze off one quick prayer to God and, 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 and know that he hears that, 
And he acknowledges that. He knows how busy we are. He knows our excuses. He knows when they're good. He knows when they're not. And probably more often than not, they're not. Amen. But he hears us when we pray. The Bible says God is a God who hears the prayers of his children. Amen. So, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 4, we have the model prayer. And there's two things I want us to look at this morning. In this model prayer, it's broken down into two, two petitions, two sets of petitions. The first thing is there are petitions for God's glory, and then there are the petitions for our sufficiency. So when you look at this model prayer, it's just really two things, God's glory and our sufficiency. And, and, and then in the motivation for prayer, which we'll look at later, the parable and the promises, he gives the example of the friend and the being in need. The reason why he, these first four verses lead into those last verses is this. Because, beloved, if, there's, if this world is going to be different, if there's going to be change in this world, it's going to come on the knees of the saints of God in prayer. See, see and, and we'll talk about this when I give out the, the guy, the 40 days of prayer and fasting, you know, everybody right now, I mean, you, there is no possible way. I do not understand how anybody can look at our country right now and not see how divided we are. I, I just, oh, everything's okay. I don't know what you're looking at or who you're listening to. Amen. All I heard this weekend was, all I heard this week, and I heard it so much, he, sh- he should have shook her hand and she shouldn't have tore up his speech. And you know what I'm talking about. Amen. But can we not clearly see the division right now in our nation? Beloved, the only way that's going to be fixed, the Bible tells us, is when God's people. And here's the thing. Some of that division is coming from people who claim to be Christians. Ouch. I'm going to preach to you this morning. I'm going to preach to me. Amen. We're the ones who have to realize that the common ground that we share in Christ in fellowship and in prayer is going to be the thing that's going to pull the nation together. The nation's going to be divided, and here's the sad thing, beloved. As long as the church is divided, and too many churches are divided, because too many churches don't spend enough time in prayer. Amen. So, so this is huge. This is important. This is massive this morning. And so I want to look at that, and I want to think about this. So let's look at this. Let's look at the model prayer. Look at verse 1. And in verse 1, I want you to notice two things. I want you to notice the influence of prayer by Jesus and the ignorance of prayer by the disciples. It says, It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now that's a loaded verse. And I want to draw your attention to one, one, little, one little statement there. Um, it says, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I want you to note this. Depending on the translation you have, and, and most translations catch this. They don't put the word how in there. It just says teach us to pray. Every now and then a translation will put that word in there. But it's incredibly ambiguous in the Greek. When you, when you read that, what, what the disciples were actually asking Jesus when they said teach us to pray, it wasn't that they wanted a formula. It wasn't that they wanted more words. They had that written in the law. They had the Psalms. They had plenty of prayers they could pray. What they were wanting Jesus to teach them was how to do it the way that he did it. And the way he did it was all the time. Every time you turn around in the scriptures, Jesus is praying. He's getting off alone with God. He's rising up early in the morning. He's spending all night in prayer. And here now, the Bible says, it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he stopped, the disciples said, Lord, you have got to teach us to do this the way you're doing it. Because they saw that Jesus, the Son of God, spent so much time in prayer, and if it was important to him, then it had to be important to them. 
And so when they said, teach us to pray, what they're really crying out for is, Lord, how do we get the motivation? How do we get the passion and the desire to pray as often as you pray? And so Jesus is going to teach them a very powerful, simple little, this, this model prayer that we pray. He's going to give them actually motivation for prayer. He's actually, he's not giving them as much a model as he is the motivation for prayer, but we're going to look at it like a model, and we're going to look at those two things. Look at verse 2. So you have the influence of prayer by Jesus, you have the ignorance of prayer by the disciples, then you have the instructions for prayer from Jesus. Look at verse 2. And he said unto them, when you pray. When. Not if. When you pray. Jesus takes for granted that a twice-born person will pray. He said, when you pray. I love the fact that he didn't say, pray at this time of day, pray in this manner, get on your knees, stand up, lay out. He, did, he, didn't, give them, he didn't give them some formula. He, did, he just said, when you pray. I love the fact that because he said, because number one, they said, teach us to do it. They saw him doing it all the time. And I think part of Jesus knew, because he's the son of God, he knows us. I think Jesus said, you're not going to get this the way I get this. You, you can't to some degree. But rather than rebuke them and go, well, you're just lazy. You just you got things more important in your life than prayer. If you just, if you just realize what mattered, then, then this wouldn't be. A, he didn't do that. He just said, when you pray. When you do it. Amen? And then he says, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven. And we're just going to break down that, just that little part there. Our Father, which art in heaven. And because there's three things I want you to see in that. The word Father sandwiches in between us and heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven. Our teaches us to, pray, to, teaches us to pray fraternally. And then Father teaches us to pray as family. And because he's our Father, that shows God's readiness but because he's in heaven, that shows our reverence. So I say all that to say this. When he says, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, we ought to always remember that we are praying up. That we are praying up. We're, we're, we're crying out to someone who is over and above everything. That when we pray, when we pray, Jesus said, when you pray, remember that you are talking to God. The creator, the ruler, the redeemer of everything. There, there is no shortcomings with God. When we pray, there's never a problem, beloved, in this world that God isn't aware of, that he doesn't have an answer to. There's nothing that catches him off guard. When we pray to him, we are praying to the one who knows everything and knows exactly what's going on and what's going to happen the very next second and the next hour and the next week. He knows everything. Amen. Remember that when you pray, you pray up. We pray up. And so, let's look at God's glory. And let's, let's look at the three things that, that, that he talks about. And, and, and I want to go back and I want to show you this. This is what's important. Before I, because this isn't in my notes, but it's, it, I got it in my Bible. I want, did you notice when, you, when Jesus prayed, you notice what he said? When you pray, say, not my Father, our Father. In verse 3, not give me give us day by day not my daily bread but our daily bread and not forgive me my sins but forgive us our sins 
For not I, but we also forgive everyone that is indebted to not me, but us, and lead not me, but us, not into temptation, but deliver not me, but us from... Do you realize that there's not one singular pronoun in this Lord's Prayer, that it's entirely plural, that when Jesus, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus said, when you pray, you need to remember that you are praying not alone and not just to God, but you are praying on behalf of every other believer. You are praying as part of the family. You are never alone in your prayers. And not only that, but when we pray, our prayers affect those around us. We're a part of a family. And the moment your prayers and my prayers become selfish, self-centered me prayers, we've almost killed the whole purpose and motivation behind prayer to begin with. See, when Jesus is laying this model prayer, he, he, he lays it in the context of a family. So, let's look at it quickly. All right, God's glory. First thing he says is, as in heaven, so in earth. Our Father which art in heaven, uh, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. And there's three things that he says there. Number one, hallowed be thy name. Number two, thy kingdom come. Number three, thy will be done. So, and, and, and in the Greek, and again, this is why I love the way the Greek works. The, the, it concludes by saying, as in heaven, so in earth. That little phrase, as in heaven, so in earth, applies to all three petitions. You could literally read it this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, as in heaven, so in earth. Thy kingdom come, as in heaven, so in earth. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. In other words, everything that God desires, everything in our prayer life should be bringing the will of God in heaven down to earth in exactly the same measure. There's nothing of heaven that, that we don't need on earth, and there's nothing of earth that we need that can be satisfied apart from heaven. And so he says, when you pray, we pray ultimately for God's glory. Thy, uh, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now I want you to look at this. I want you to look carefully at this. Look, look at verse 2. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Have you ever heard somebody pray, as in heaven, so on earth? Have you ever heard somebody, sometimes we pray in, on, we, we use the two different pronouns. In almost every translation, it, it, it's actually in heaven, in earth. It's the word in, in. It's not, on is never used. But not only that, you're going to love this. It's two different words for in. So let me explain this to us this morning. The two words for in heaven and in earth are different. In heaven is a fact of life. That word in heaven, it's the same word to represent like the heart in your body. The heart, the heart that's in your body, that, that's your life. That heart beating inside of you is you. you, you as long as your heart beats, you're alive. Amen? And as long as God beats in heaven, heaven is alive. God is the heartbeat of heaven. Are you with me? Say amen. So that's the word that you use there. As in heaven. Like the heart beating in heaven. But then it says, so in earth. Um, uh, God is the heartbeat of heaven. It's the most wonderful place because he is there. Heaven lives because of him. One preacher said it this way. Heaven wouldn't be heaven if God weren't there. And hell wouldn't be hell if he were. Wherever God is, that is heaven. One is a state of spiritual life because of God's presence, and the other is a state of spiritual death because of God's absence. Heaven is heaven because God is in heaven. He is the life blood of heaven. But we don't have that kind of power in our flesh. No, we need something else. We need God to do something in our life. So we carry it in us by the Spirit, by the new birth. So the phrase, in earth, now this is where it gets good. As in heaven, so in earth. In the Greek, that's accusative. That's accusative. What is it? It's making an accusation. 
Earth in her early creation was freed from sin, connected to God, drew all of its life from him. But now the perfect connection between God and his creation is stained with sin. The earth is cursed. The earth is dying. Romans chapter 8 tells us that this world groans and longs for the return of God and to establish everything on earth the way it was back in the Garden of Eden, the way that God meant it to be. That the earth is groaning. You don't think the earth is groaning? What do you think floods are, tornadoes, famines, and fire, and the ravaging things that we see in nature on this earth is broken. The world is broken. And it's not going to stop until God beats his life back into earth the way he intended from the beginning. Beloved, when we pray, we are praying for that very life to be beaten back into this world. That's prayer. Amen. That's the power you have when you get on your knees before God. Wow. And it's still the thing that we find the hardest to do. And sometimes when we realize something like this, it becomes the hardest thing to do because that's incredibly intimidating. Because on the one hand, to realize we have that much power. And on the other hand, to think, but, but, but can, I really, can I really kneel and pray and ask for the yes? We are the bearers of hope. Now, I want to I I show you this because I want to move on to the next thing so we can, we can finish up. We cannot be the life of the earth. We, we are not the life of the earth. It, it's not us. It's God in us. And, and this is the beauty. When it says, as in heaven, so on earth, I love this. God is the heartbeat of heaven. But the reality is, sometimes in this life, We need, a, we, need, we need life from outside of us put inside of us. So, so look carefully again. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. God is the heartbeat of heaven. He is the life of heaven. Now, I want you to think of it this way. Think of a transfusion. If you've ever had surgeries, if you ever know someone's had surgery, ever know someone sometimes that they've, they've been in a situation where they needed to have blood put into their body, everything else is working fine, their heart's speaking, but they're losing blood. The heart's beating, but they're losing blood. You need blood because the heart pumps the blood. So without blood in the body, the heart could beat all you want. But eventually, now, here's the thing. I want you to listen to me carefully. If, if you're in the hospital and that situation, the doctors come, the paramedics come, and they, they need, we need blood. He needs a transfusion. He needs it fast. I got blood right here. I got a bag of blood right here. All right, what are we going to do? All right, we cut open the bag of blood, and then we pour it on the person. Does absolutely no good. No, the blood has to be put in them. And that's exactly what that word is in earth. We are not the life. We are the transfusion. God is the life. He is the heartbeat. And when we, now beloved, you need to get this. You and I as Christians, we are the transfusion that this world needs. We are the life of Christ in the earth. <laughs> so what does that mean? When we're doing more fighting, more grumbling, more complaining. <laughs> Amen. Oh, beloved. We have got to pray. And we have got to understand the urgency of prayer. Because this world needs us, not you, not me, us.
Amen. And, and, and the very first thing we see is, is this prayer is a prayer for the, for the sovereignty of God to be infused in the earth. So that when the world looks at us, that what we're praying for is we are praying for his name to be holy in the earth. When we see a lack of holiness, that ought to motivate us to prayer. Hallowed be your name. And we tolerate, we tolerate the name of the Lord being taken in vain. TV shows, movies, music. And, and, and that ought to break our hearts. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. When we look at this world and man is trying to build his own kingdom, no idea of the kingdom of God, that ought to motivate us to prayer. And when nobody has a desire to do the will of God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Where is the world going to see the hallowed name of God, his kingdom coming, and his will being done if they don't see it in the life of God's people? So our prayer can never be, God, this is what I want for my church. Careful. Amen. That sounds spiritual, doesn't it? But it's not our church. It's his church. Our prayer ought to be, God, what do you want for your church? Amen. We know this. And yet, think about the things that we fight over in the church. <laughs> Color of the carpet. What, what the thermostat should be set on. Amen. I mean, just the things we, you know, the, are we going to paint the walls? Are we going to use blue lights, white lights, LED lights? It just, it's, it's amazing. What we, amen. And oh me. Beloved, when the world looks at us, they ought to see us desiring that his name be holy, seeking his kingdom. And this is so important, desiring God's will. And what is God's will? Well, we're going to actually talk about that this afternoon in session three. Amen. <laughs> but beloved, at no point, at no point can we ever allow ourselves to fall into a prayer life, to fall into the trap of spending time in our prayer life where we're putting our will above God's will or treating the church like it's our church, like it belongs to us, it belongs to him. And when we understand that, there's unity. You want to know why there's division and disunity in the churches? Because we're not seeking God's will. You get two people both seeking their will, that's a division. Amen. That's the definition of division and disunity. But when two people come together seeking God's will, that's unity. That's what God intends. Amen. And God's will is singular. You won't be divided on God's will. You can't argue about God's will. You find it in the Word of God. God says, this is what I want. This is my will. You agree on it. You move forward. Amen. And so we ought to pray for the sovereignty of God. And then number two, we pray for our sufficiency because there's nothing wrong with praying for our sufficiency. Not God take care of me, but God take care of my family because it's your family. Amen? Be careful with those pronouns. (laughs) That'll make all the difference in your prayer life right there. Three areas that Jesus tells us to pray for each other. Three areas where he wants us to increase our dependence upon him. I'm going to give them to you quickly. Number one, honoring the day. Number two, humility in our debt. And then number three, help for direction and hope for deliverance. Honoring the day. What do I mean by that? Forgive us our sins. Or verse three, give us day by day our daily bread. What time of day should we pray? What time of day should we pray? Well, the Bible says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Amen. But when's the best time of pray to, the day, day to pray? At the end of the day, after you're exhausted and your day's over to pray? There's nothing wrong with that. Pray at the end of your day. Thank God for the day. 
But in this passage, verse 3, when Jesus says, give us day by day our daily bread, when are you going to ask God to give you your daily bread? At the end of the day, when you're going to bed, you don't need bread no more? By implication, you start your day with God. Amen. Honoring the day. When you get up each morning, when you, when you rise up each morning, you, 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 you have to start that day with God. Philip was praying and he said, Lord, I want to thank you. It's been a good day today. I haven't held a grudge against anybody. I haven't been angry today. I haven't been bitter today. No bad thoughts have crossed my mind. It's been a good day. But now i got to get out of bed. <laughs> and everything's going to change. <laughs> Amen. Well, there's silliness in that, but you get the idea. You start your day with God. You know as well as I do. You, you can have, be having the best morning ever. Until you walk out the door of your house. Sometimes you ain't even got, sometimes you ain't got to, all you got to do is get up, get out of your bed. Sometimes you don't even make it to the bathroom or the kitchen before you stub your toe, you step on something. Amen. That's just silliness, but it's true. Amen. The reality is, beloved, we ought to honor the day. Give us day by day our daily bread. Then say, give me tomorrow's bread, give me our daily bread. When did they draw manna in the wilderness? They drew the manna every morning. They went out in the morning and they collected the bread that they needed for the day. And what did God tell him? He says, don't take, with, don't take for tomorrow. Just take what you need for today. And some of them said, well, we're going to go ahead and take for tomorrow too. And they got up the next morning. And what happened to the stuff they took yesterday? It was rotten. They couldn't eat it. Daily bread. You don't need God less today than you did yesterday. And you won't need him any more tomorrow than you do today. Amen? Give us day by day our daily bread. Number two. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Humility and debt. Jesus tells us that we are indebted to God. Every, we can't pay him what we owe him. And yet God has freely forgiven us. Give us. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us or everyone who owes us. If we don't readily forgive a man for his trespasses against us, it is because we don't understand how readily God has forgiven us for our trespasses against him. The man who has been forgiven knows how to forgive. <coughs> I'll give you this illustration, then we'll move on to the last thing. One of my favorite scenes in the Lord of the Rings movies, in the book series, the book's an amazing series, if you can get through reading the books, but the movies are well done. And there's a scene at the beginning of the third movie, The Return of the King, it's after the two towers ends and after the towers have been brought down. And there's a scene where, and I forgot the name of the king, who was once under the oppression of Saruman and he had been oppressed by the enemy and he was, and he was under the demonic influence of the enemy until the light set him free. And it was because one of the men of Rohan had betrayed him and helped him to become enslaved to this enemy. So at, at, there's a scene in the movie where as, he's, as they're at the bottom and they're looking up on the top of, of one of the towers, Saruman is up there and he's, and he's up there with the one who betrayed him. And the king who originally in his anger had driven him out looks up and he sees him standing up there and there's this beautiful scene where he says to him and he says, you were once a man of Rohan. 
come back down here with us where you belong. And he forgave him. In that invitation, he is forgiving him. Even as he's standing beside the one who enslaved him. And now had him enslaved. And the king understood that now. That he was enslaved by him because he was enslaved by him. That, that the devil does that. He gets us enslaved. He gets us to thinking that our offenses are against each other when in reality they're not. All of our offenses are against God. And it's the devil who enslaves us and gets us convinced that, 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 we, that we're doing something to each other but we're not. And when God says, I forgive you, we ought to be able to forgive each other. Because there's nothing you and I have done to God that He won't forgive us for. What in the world have we done to each other that is greater than putting Christ on the cross to die for our sins? So He says, forgive us. And, and, and as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, Jesus wants us to understand that forgiveness comes, forgiving each other is directly related to understanding how we've been forgiven by God. And yet, do we not still get mad at each other? Do we not still hold a grudge? Of course we do. You know how you get over that? You know how you find the ability to forgive someone? Remember what you've been forgiven. Most of you studied your history. You know the story of Corey Ten Boom. And you know the story of how her sister died in the concentration camps. And you know the story of how she tells about how she was preaching in Germany and how she was sharing her testimony and talking about forgiveness. And at the end of her message, a German man approaches her. And he says, I'm so and so. And she knew immediately who he was. She recognized him as one of the guards in the camp where they were prisoners. She recognized him. And she knew that her sister died directly because of his actions. And he stood before her and he said, I want you to know now that I am a Christian and I am your brother in Christ. Please forgive me for what I've done. And she tells in her story, her testimony, in her writings, how she in that moment wrestled with being able to forgive that man. And she did not want to. And she just preached on forgiveness. And the power of the cross. And she says that the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, I have forgiven you. And I have forgiven him. And in that moment, she was able, and only by the power of Christ, was she able to forgive that man and hug that man and welcome him in her life as a brother in Christ. That's the power of the cross. Amen? It's Christ that takes two people with two horrible, horribly different backgrounds and two radically different experiences in life and sometimes with such animosity and anger and violence that the only way you could ever bring yourself to shake someone's hand or to hug their neck is the power of the cross. That is what we are praying for, beloved. That is what happens when the church gets on her knees. And then here's the last thing this morning. We need to pray for help, for direction, and hope for our deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. No one goes into sin alone. The whole body is affected. When we go, we take Jesus with us. Everywhere we go, Jesus goes with you. It's not a question of where God leads us. 
but whether or not he is in fact leading us. Very often in this life, we do the things we want to do. We go where we want to go. Flip Wilson, man, did more in, 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 in the sense of humor to undermine this, this idea. Because you, you, know, you know where I'm going with this. He had that classic line. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. <laughs> well, the devil doesn't make us do anything. We choose. We choose to walk with our God or to walk in our flesh. And so, because too often we choose our flesh and it's that hard, Jesus said that we need to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Us, not me, us. Because here's the thing, beloved. When a preacher falls into sin, people don't just look at the preacher and say, see what kind of Christian he was. No, it affects that whole church. People look at that church. Well, you know, all those people in that church. <laughs> Beloved, when you sin, people don't just look at you. They don't just look at me. When we sin, they don't just look at us. They look at the entire body of Christ, and that's what they think of Christianity. And we need the power of God in our life to make sure that we are not living in sin because we're sending the wrong message to the world. So, with that in mind, do I have anything else? No. Let me put this here. We're going to begin our first 40 days of praying and fasting. Um, You can keep this. By the way, when we're done with this, after we get through these 40 days, don't, don't throw this away. I encourage everybody to do this at least once a year. What I like about this one, if, and, and I'll help you out with this. If you, if you get done with that and you want to do another one, you can go through that one again. You can do another 40 days of prayer. But here's, if you go to Google and you type in 40 days of prayer and fasting guides, you, you, you will not find a shortage. Of 40, you will be able to print off and download a number of different themes and things that you can pray for over a 40-day period of time. So you can do this every. You can do this. Do one and then do another. There's no reason you can't find something to pray for every day using any of these guides. Amen. But what I like about this one is this one actually ties into, and they have another one. This is put out through the uh, the ERC, the uh, Ethics and Religious Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. But they have another one they put out that they put out during an election year, which I actually have a copy of that one. You can download it and print it too. It's 40 days of prayer and fasting. And you actually start praying in September, and you pray for 40 days leading up to November, right up to election day. And, and, and that's a really good, and that one's totally about praying for elected officials and praying for wisdom and for voting and, and everything. And, and we're in an election year and all that, so, so that's a good one to look at down the road. But, but when, you, when you open this one, you're going to see the, the table of contents. It, this, one, this one leads into that, but here's what you got. We, for seven days, we pray for personal revival. For six days, we pray for church revival. For five days, we pray for revival among church leaders. For five days, we pray for national revival. For six days, we'll pray for national renewal. For five days, we'll pray for wisdom for public officials. For two days, we'll pray for wisdom to elect the best officials. Probably need more than two days for that, but that's all that's in this guide. And then for four days, there's a countdown to revival and renewal. And these are all the topics. 
a thirst for God, longing for his word, self-examination, uh, praying for your church, churches in your city, churches in your state, churches in the nation, praying for deacons, uh, ministry leaders, ministry teams, conviction of sin, uh, a thirst, a national thirst for God, communities at peace, religious liberty for all, exemplary lives, God to burden Christians to run for office, discernment of candidates, prayer for the lost, prayer for the church, prayer for the nation. This is the prayer guide that we're going to undertake. And this one is, this one is about preparing our heart. And this is important, beloved. There's a reason why we're doing this one first. Because as I said, we're going to do this. We're going to take about a one or two week break. And then you're going to get another 40 days that's going to be specifically praying for this church and for the search committee. And for the process of finding your next senior pastor. But before... Before we undertake praying for the search committee and praying for God to show us the man, praying for God to show you the man that he has chosen for you, we need to spend 40 days making sure our hearts are prepared to receive those things. Amen? So this first 40 days of prayer and fasting is very much about seeing our place, searching our own heart and life, finding our place, your place, I keep saying our because it's our. I know I'm not here for long, but I'm here long enough. I'm still part of the family. Amen. Our place. First Baptist Church is Mableton's place. Not just in Mableton, but in the world. In this city, in this state, in this nation. And then praying for God to send the man that he has already appointed. And that you'll see him and know him when God brings him. And that the search committee will see him and know him. And then God can do something in the life of this church like he's never done before to restore the holiness of his name, the presence of his kingdom, and the promise and power of his will being done. Among a people who are praying for their daily bread, forgiving each other, and resisting sin, and living righteous, holy lives in the world. Amen? All of that comes, all of that comes in prayer when God's people get on their knees before God in prayer. Now, here's what we're going to do this morning. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I was going to kneel down, but I'm going to do it in a minute, so I didn't want to kneel down yet because if I kneel down, I want to make sure I'm able to get back up. But here's what I want us to do this morning. Again, these prayer guides are out there. Make sure you pick one up this morning. We'll see how many more we need. I've got more downstairs that we're printing off. We'll print, we'll print as many of these as we need. <coughs> I'm going to pray this morning. The first thing I want to ask you is this. and I haven't preached on it, but just got to make sure you know that you're a part of the family, that Jesus died for you. If you don't know that, I'll be down front. I'd love to pray with you, tell you how you can know that. But I want to invite as many of you as, as many of you as are able this morning. I want to invite as many of you as are able this morning. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'll tell you what, I don't want us to sing. I just want you to play for us. And you can sing if you want. But Ryan, if you would just play the invitation hymn. You want to sing, that's fine. I want us focused on prayer. And, and I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying and he's going to begin playing, as many of you as able, I want you to make your way to the altar and kneel before God and, 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 and as the family of God coming together in this church. And, and if you're not physically able, then, then pray right where you are. You don't have to kneel in the pew. You stay right there. I understand. 
but I want us to pray this morning and start this 40 days of praying and, and, and start seeking the face of God with more vigor and diligence as we move through these next few months to see what God is going to do in our hearts and lives. Father, we pray because we pray because it's a, it's a blessed privilege. We get to communicate with the God of creation. We also pray because we have to. Our unity depends on it. The family of God depends upon vibrant prayer, seeking to put you above our own wills and passions and desires to fight off the disunity and the division and to stay focused on kingdom things and things that matter. And we have to pray, God, because the world, we are the, we are the transfusion. We are the life that this world needs. We are Christ. It's Christ in us, in this world, that beats the very life of God and righteousness and holiness into this world. And so, Father, we pray this morning and we ask you to be with us during this time of prayer for your glory, for your honor, as we begin these next 40 days move in our hearts and lives and teach us more than ever to be a people of prayer for your glory and your honor in Jesus' name.